Our scripture reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23-33. And our sermon today is entitled, For the Glory of God. For the Glory of God. <coughs> all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions. Oh, without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you, and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Many of you are very familiar with verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. But the question remains is what does that sentence actually mean? To do all things for God's glory. What does the word glory mean? And how can we best understand it in order that we may bring that glory unto God? We as Christians, we, we need to allow Scripture to define how God wants to be worshipped. Instead of for us taking these words and imposing our own categories of glory, the Bible itself. For the Bible is the only source of instruction, but the only source of power to transform our lives. And so I want you to hear today that you must do all things, whatever you do, God's glory it is not only your motivation but it's your goal it is the reason that you live it is the, the telos the logical conclusion of why we know Jesus it is temporally what we are waiting for when God returns. 
And so before we sort of understand what it means to do all things for God's glory, I want to take us on a little trip to see what that word glory really means. If we look in Scripture and we look at the word glory, we see in the Old Testament that that word in Hebrew has different denotations depending on how it's used in different parts of Scripture. The definition that we are familiar with when it's, when it's attributed to God himself is glory. But the Hebrew readers would have looked at that word and understood that it meant also something that's heavy or something that has weight. And this makes sense. Because when you say that someone has a lot of mass or something has a lot of mass, it means that they are not able to be moved. It means that they can weather storms. The great pyramids of Giza had glory because it has weight. It has glory because it still stands. When we think of a river that, that flows, and we think when a leaf drops onto that river, and the river simply whooshes it away, we look at that leaf and we say, it has no glory. It has no weight. It is simply taken by the current. But then you see that grand stone that sits in the middle of the stream, dividing it into two little streams that, that go around it. And every day you come back and that rock is still there. It has glory. It has weight. It has importance. When we look at the Old Testament, that the idea of glory is that there is this permanence, goodness, and beauty to what stands before you. When the Greek writers were translating the Old Testament, and they saw that word for glory, they had to figure out a word in the Greek that best translated that. And then when they saw those words about the glory of God himself, they used this word that means more of reputation or more of name. That we do all things to build up the reputation or the name of our God. That everything that we do, we attribute to what our God has done and the goodness of our God. We could see this in sort of a, a negative way if we look at what's happening in North Korea. Everything is for the glory or the name of the founding father of North Korea. He's the one who invented science. He's the one who invented technology. He's the one who wrote all the poetry in the world. Everything has his name on it. And the people there worship him as a God. 
for us when we do all things for the glory of God. We do all things to attribute to the name of God himself and for his reputation to become greater and greater. John Piper puts it this way. He says, the glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God, God's manifold perfections. But let me tell you, <coughs> glory itself, it's one of those words that you, that you really can't define. It's really hard to define. You can talk about different attributes of glory, like it has weight. It's, it's about someone's reputation and name. It's something that's outstanding. It's not negative at all. It's something about perfection. It's something about eternality. And we can talk around. It's sort of like the word beauty. How do you describe beauty? How do you define that word? What's more important for us as Christians is not so much trying to define perfectly what this word glory means. But what's more critical for us is how we respond to God's glory. How we respond to God's glory tells us if we understand God's glory. When you see the beauty, right? When you see the beauty of God's creation, the moment you try to explain it, it sort of just loses its luster, right? But when you see the beauty of God's creation, all you need to do is say, And both of you, you look at each other and you just go, <laughs> look at that, wow, wow. God's glory is the same way. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, the angels say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. When we encounter God and we see his glory, our response is worship. It's awe. It's wonder. It's speechlessness. It's beauty. It's self-forgetfulness. It's being caught in the wave of his presence. And we cry out like the angels, holy, holy, holy. This is how you know that you, you know God and that his glory is important to you. Not if you can define it. But when you see it, you worship.
when you see him, you break out into song. Why else do we sing songs? Singing should be the natural, natural <coughs> consequence of seeing the glory of God. So what is glory? It's all these things. What I ask of you you see God perhaps as you're reading scripture perhaps when you hear someone share their testimony perhaps as you're praying and the Lord shows you your sins and the forgiveness you have that you're in awe and wonder his presence, his holiness, his perfection, his love. One of the things that I really lament is when the name of Jesus and God's perfection and holiness and love when it has no effect on my heart. It's when someone says to me, you know, Jesus loves you. He died for your sins. And all I can do is just nod my head and simply intellectual assent and walk away. That's when I know there's something wrong with me. There are times in your lives when you'll be reading scripture and nothing stirs you up. Nothing. There'll be times where you'll be sitting worshiping God with everyone else. And no song comes from that's when you know that you've forgotten about God's glory. But here's the good news, is it not? That God's glory has never left you. That our duty is not to sort of some how work up our emotions like having Andy sing just fast tempo songs or, or whatever or me screaming at you. But it's us to come humbly before the Lord again and say, Lord, show yourself to me again. As I read your word, show yourself to me again. Lord, wrestle with me again. And don't let me go until I cry out, I need you, and I love you, and I worship you. And the Lord will answer us. But we can't follow this, right? 
do all for the glory of God. If our hearts don't rejoice in seeing God getting all the glory, this becomes just a catchphrase for living a moral life. When it says here, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. There are two things that we have to see. First of all, this is the goal of every believer. Our goal is to bring glory to God's name. It's to allow his reputation to grow in our hearts and to grow in this world around us. It's for us to become less, right? And we'll get to this a little bit more. And for God's name to grow immensely above who we are. One of the things I appreciated about college football back in the 1990s, I don't know exactly when this happened, but if you watch a college football game, everyone had a uniform on and there was no names on the back. There was no names. There were just numbers. And then when, uh, you know, for those of you who know football, if one of the linemen um, were to, were, were to jump off, were to uh, move before the ball snapped, the offensive lineman, one of the defensive linemen went offside before the ball snapped, the ref would just say, offside defense. False start, offense. And you never knew, as a someone just watching TV, if you weren't had a train on, you, and you didn't have a, a list of who the people were, you never know who did what or what happened. There's a reason for that. The purpose of playing football wasn't to sort of get your name out there, but the purpose was for the glory of your team the name of the team. For us as God's people, we do whatever we can to make his name known. Because when we make his name known and his glory grows, well, we get back to the first point, right? We worship in fullness and we feel whole as the people we were intended to be for the glory of his name and the worship of his name is what we're meant to do even Jesus himself if, 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 if we have anyone to look up to it's Christ himself look what he says in John 14 13 whatever you ask whatever you ask Whatever you, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus' whole task was not for himself to be glorified, but that through the work that he was doing, the Father would be glorified. That Jesus' joy came in knowing that his Father's name would be magnified through all of history. 
The second thing we have to understand is that there, there is, there's this false divide that we have between our Christian life and our worldly life. When it says, do all, whatever, <coughs> or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God, that, that means anything and everything that you do can be done for God's glory. There is nothing in this world that you do that cannot be linked to God. There's nothing in this world that you can do that you could say, well, this aspect of my life, I can't bring glory to God because it has nothing to do with God. But all things can be done for God's glory. Your suffering can be done for God's glory. Your pain, God understands your pain. But even through that, God can show you his glory. There's no such thing as saying, you know, my spiritual side I'll give here to the church. My mental health, I'll give to the psychiatrist. There's no such thing as saying my, my spirituality and my ethics, I'll bring here. But my sexuality, over here. There's no say, you know what, in terms of my spiritual one-on-one to God, I bring here. But raising my kids, how to raise my kids, how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife, yeah. I, I need to go somewhere else. But all things we can do for God's glory. So it's incumbent upon us to think deeply and reflect well on every aspect of our lives. How can I do such and such a thing that in the end it results in me worshiping God? Think about that. How can I do such and such a thing so in the end I end up worshiping God? To our students here, I will say this to you, as long as we have students, college students here, I will say this over and over again. But for you guys, when you have exams, exams are over, there's more exams coming up, right? (coughs) How can you study for exams Or in the end, you're giving glory to God. Instead of just saying, I just got to get through this. Finish it up. Oh, it's done. Oh, I did such a great job. Good job. Or man, it was was awful. Man, life is terrible now. How can you study in such a way? Have a heart in such a way that whatever the end product is, that your goal is simply to glorify God. Lord, thank you for what I'm learning. This is created by you. I see your presence, your fingerprints in all of this. Lord, thank you for the the ability and the privilege of being able to do this. Help me to use all that I have for your glory. 
Lord, I see my brothers and sisters and those who do not know you really wrestling with their identity because they think that who they are depends upon their grades. I know better because you saved me. Teach me to manifest your glory by loving these people who need you. Total different way that we approach life. For us who are married, how can I be that husband or that wife that helps manifest God's glory in the other? How can I act and respond in such a way that the conversation we have, the fights or conflicts that we have, ends up with glorifying God? Don't say it's impossible. Don't say it's not within the realm of what God is, of, of, of the realm where God has set aside for you to work on on your own. All of these things can be done for the glory of God. <coughs> and the question goes back again. Does your heart beat for God's glory and his love for you? <coughs> Lastly, and these are pragmatic steps. And again, there's this whole subject is so wide, but I'm really sticking to what we have here in 1 Corinthians. How do I bring glory to God? First, well, before we go into this, first, I'm not, I'm not talking about simply how do we bring glory to God and like the creative works that he's given us and how do we bring glory to God in our studies and stuff like that. that that's, that's all well and good, okay? But I want you to see here in this context, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God, that what God is talking about here is something very specific. And we need to get this in our hearts. Because if for us, simply, when we think of doing all things for the glory of God, if all we think about is doing things for ourselves that we enjoy, you're missing the point. If you think that doing all things for the glory of God means I just got to sell everything, buy an RV, Winnebago, go travel the world, and just, just camp out and, and see the sunset, sunrise, everything, I'm doing all things for God's you're missing the point. There's nothing wrong with that per se, but this is the center. And then everything else, your studies, your enjoyment of the arts, whatever, comes out of that. Not the other way around. The first thing that we learn here is we need to love people with the pure gospel of Christ. So this passage actually is a case study of this broader principle. Remember, this case study is, can I eat food that has been sacrificed to idols? And the answer basically is, listen, if it's in the food market, it's been sacrificed to idols, but it's just food there, go eat. It's, it's, it's no big deal. If someone invites you over and they say, hey, let's have this meal, and they don't say anything about where they got it from, and because it's not important to them, eat it. But someone says to you, hey, listen, this meal has been sacrificed to this God. We're going to enjoy this together. Paul says, don't eat it. Not for your conscience, but for them. 
And the reason why is point number one, loving people with the pure gospel of Christ. <coughs> the, the issue here is that we are not to love people with a watered-down or with a defective gospel. That's not loving people at all. We don't want to surprise people at the end and go, oh, by the way, we believe that you're a sinner and that you need to repent of your sins. And you know, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, dude, it's bait and switch. And that's what Paul is saying here in this, in, in this, like to bring glory to me. When you are talking with people, you are not to compromise. You'd be the winsome, but you're not to compromise the truth of the gospel. You are not to say, yeah, you know, I do believe in raising my kids that I should raise them up to believe in Jesus. And they'll say to you, well, I'm going to raise my kids to believe, to, you know, expose them to five different religions and let them choose. And you can't say, oh, that's nice. And confirm their conscience that it's okay. But winsomely, you need, we, we as believers, if, if that's someone you know or you, the opportunity arises, hey, but don't you think that there is only one way to truth? Have you ever explored who Jesus is and you know, why is it that so many people believe in Jesus? And let me explain to you why I believe that, I'm, that my kid growing up knowing Jesus is actually not only good for him but good for our society in this case study Paul could have just said uh, Paul could have said yeah if someone just says you know it's been sacrificed to idols eat it with me he could have said oh, okay why not just eat it but to deter that person from thinking that perhaps being a Christian means I can worship not only Jesus, but this other God as well. It's okay. To bring glory to God in this context of what Paul is talking about, whether you eat or drink, we're talking about sacrifice. We're not talking about going to McDonald's or going to uh, Burger King. Um, that's included in the whatever you do part. <laughs> We need to be firm in what we believe in order to bring God the glory that he deserves. Second part, we need to sacrifice self to reveal the glory of God. Look at verse 20, uh, sorry, 33. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, not seeking my own advantage. Verse 24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. For us to bring glory to God, for us to do all things for his glory, whatever we do, not only do we need to love people with the pure gospel that we have, but we need to even sacrifice parts of our lives in order for that gospel to go forth. The sacrifice here, it's not a big deal for at this point. The sacrifice was what? I just don't get to eat meat. Okay, it's a big sacrifice for some of you. 
but I just don't get to eat meat. But there'll be other sacrifices as well. When we die to self to help others. Time, resources, reputation. Some of you don't want to be outed as a Christian because you feel the burden. I know I was there. I don't want to be outed as the Christian. I just want to be outed as a good moral person there. Because I'm outed as a Christian. Then they're going to look at me and treat me differently. If that's where your heart is, please go back to the Lord and ask for his forgiveness. Jesus wasn't ashamed of you before the Lord when he took away your sins, saw everything, died for you, pleaded to the Lord to forgive you. We should never be ashamed of our Savior. Never. And so when we are looked upon to sacrifice and to help, not to be used, but to sacrifice and help when it's need, need be, and we do it all for God and his glory, we're satisfied with that as God's people. I still remember that day when I walked into this lawyer's office. He had UGA paraphernalia everywhere. It was crazy. I'd, I've never seen anything like that. Like, what? what why? This is a law office, is it not? No, it's like Bulldogs, 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 Georgia, red, black. Like, why? But the thing was, he was not ashamed of it. I was judging him. <laughs> In my heart, I was judging him harshly. It's like, dude, grow up. No shame. Have no shame in your identity. Sacrifice yourself. And when difficulties come or when good things come and you give all of that glory to God, may your heart be in the right place where you can rejoice. Thirdly, what does it mean to do all things for the glory of God? Here in this context, is look in verse, end of verse 33 again. I do not, <coughs> not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. The greatest joy that we have in glorifying God is to see people come to know God. It's not when someone comes to know Jesus, we just go, welcome, you're awesome, this is awesome. Really? You go to a football game, your team wins, you go, awesome, our team is good. But there's something about seeing someone come to faith. 
proclaiming Jesus as their God. That allows the people of God together to rejoice, to sing, to cry, to be thankful, to be in awe. That we realize that when we see someone come to know Jesus, that everything else doesn't, it doesn't matter. What, what sparks my joy? What sparks? It's Jesus. This passage here where it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Yes, we can take that out as Christians have done and say that this applies to anything you do in this world. And I agree with that. But Christians have run with that to mean I don't need to do anything that's oriented with the gospel. I just need to do things that I want to do and figure out how to how to do it in such a way that it looks like it's a Christian thing. Instead of going to the center first, going, how can I share the gospel and die to self in all these aspects of all my life so that some may be saved, so that I may glory in the Lord and the growing, the growth of his reputation. is where this passage comes from. Why are we weak? Why are we heavenly weak? We've forgotten our joy, haven't we? We have God who lives in us, who's ever before us. And we don't even blink. Yet I pray and we pray, we must pray. That when we think of the Lord, our eyes drop down in holy reverence. Our heart starts to beat faster, knowing that He's ours and we belong to Him. Our palms get sweaty. And we want to sing a song to him of how great he is. Brothers and sisters, bring God glory. Bring him glory. Rejoice greatly in him. This is what God wants for us. The fullness of life that is in beholding the glory of our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. <coughs> There's no one like you. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would teach us to sing, sing songs to you. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us, Lord, in every aspect of our lives, Lord God, to infuse it with the glory of your name. We pray for parents, Lord, that they would teach their children 
and that we as a church would teach our children, Lord, to rejoice in you. We pray, Lord, for husbands and wives and for us who are children as well of our fathers and mothers. Teach us to love in such a way that brings about glory to you. So, Lord, whether that means, Lord, we need to be honest of what it means to be a Christian sometimes. There are times when we need to die to ourselves to help them to see that Christ's love is real. And lastly, we pray and hope that they too may be saved and that we may rejoice together. In all of these things, you receive glory. May those tasks, Lord, not be simply difficult tasks that we just are afraid of. But may they be our joy. May we wear it proudly. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.